0: Wow, worship team. Thank you. That was uh, talk about spirit led. Wow. Preach after that, they said. It'll be fun, they said. (laughs) Well, good morning. You're all like blurry. Ah. (laughs) Good morning, everybody. (laughs) My name is David, as Shelby said. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Trinity. Let me be yet another voice to welcome you, uh, whether you are here in person or online. A special welcome to anybody that is with us for the first time. Uh, we are in the middle, dead center of our sermon series on the Holy Spirit. I hope you guys are enjoying it uh, as much as I am. Each week I've learned so much. Um, and it, just, just as a reminder before we get started, if you've missed any of the previous sermons in this series or any period, always available online on our website, on our app, on our YouTube page. Uh, as well as Pastor Kirk uh, mentioned this last week, but through the back doors to the left, uh, right out the sanctuary to the, le- sanctuary to the left, there is a box with some pieces of paper, pens there, where you can write down any questions that you have, uh, drop them in that box, and we're going to go through them uh, as a pastoral staff each week. Uh, we did that last week. It was just it was so wonderful. I, I I don't know that we'll be able to answer them all, but it was just such a it was just such great insight into the questions that you guys have and ways that we can be speaking and preaching directly into that. There's no way to cover the Holy Spirit in seven or eight weeks, right? And so your questions are just great tools in our hands to help us, guide us. Now, so far over the last three weeks, Pastor Kirk has masterfully led us through who the Holy Spirit is. How do we connect with the Holy Spirit? And what does the Holy Spirit do in us? This week, we're going to look at what the Holy Spirit does through us. So we're going to examine the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And our main text today is going to be 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11, and you can find a Bible right in the pew back in front of you. As a reminder, if you do not own a Bible, that is our gift to you. Our only encouragement is that you open it and read it. But we will be on page 931 today. You can turn there and follow along. But we're also going to look at other verses in chapter 12. We're going to look at the fourth chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, plus some words for Peter, from Peter. And in those texts, using them, we're going to answer three questions about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Who has them? What are they? And why are they given? Who has the gifts of the Holy Spirit? What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And why are they given? So we're going to get right into it. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. But before we do, would you pray with me, Holy Spirit, do not let us settle for just knowing about you. We want to know you. We need to know you. We need your power. You you are the power that raised Christ from the grave. And you dwell within us. So, Holy Spirit, would you teach us today, and would you fall afresh on on this place, on every single one of us, that we would be continually renewed and filled by you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one, just as He determines. Now, the context is always vitally important to understanding the author's intent. So this is Paul, remember. Paul planted this church in Corinth during his second missionary journey. You can read all about that in the book of Acts, chapter 18. He spent a year and a half in Corinth with this church, building and developing leadership, building up the church. But not long after he left, the church in Corinth developed significant moral and spiritual problems. And this letter deals specifically with those problems. And there were many. Christian brothers and sisters suing one another. Chaotic worship. Incredible divisions within the church. Insubordination. Abuse of power. Idolatry. If I could sum up their problems in one way, it would be this. The church in Corinth looked and acted just like the city of Corinth. Life in the city of Corinth was so perverted, Corinth became a verb to Corinthanize. Now, I will let you go study that on your own. But instead of the church bringing the grace and purity of Jesus into the city, they brought the chaos and immorality of the city into the church. Now, it's easy... 2,000 years removed to sit back and point a finger at this church in Corinth that was invaded by culture. But this week God showed me how easy it is for my heart to mirror culture, to be influenced and led astray, especially as it pertains to gifts of the Spirit. And so as we ask and answer our three questions today, I want the Word of God to shine like a beacon of truth to guide us and illuminate falsehoods that we need to guard against concerning these spiritual gifts. So first question, who has the gifts of the Spirit? Let's go right back into our text. Let's look at verses 4 through 7. Paul writes again, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, And in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. And in Ephesians 4, a chapter that, again, a letter written by Paul, it so closely parallels what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul writes this about the unity that we have as Christians. He says this, he says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then he goes on a few verses later in Ephesians there to talk about how some in the church were given the gift of prophecy, others' teaching, others evangelism. Now I know at least a few of you if you're paying attention are saying wait a second in Corinthians you just read about spiritual gifts and in Ephesians you just talked about grace being given but trust me I'll tie those two together in a moment and the way that Paul is using them there they are synonymous with one another. So based on what we just read based on the word of God let's answer our question Who is given the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Every single Christian. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you are saved. Saved not only from the wrath of God, but saved to live a full and abundant life now. And if that was it, it would be more than enough. Amen? But our Heavenly Father didn't stop there. He doesn't just save us. He sends us. And He sends us to do His work here on earth. And when He does so, He does not send us empty-handed. We've said it before. We'll say it again. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. If you've been called, if you've given your life to Jesus, you've been gifted period. New paragraph. It's not up for debate. It doesn't matter what denomination you belong to. If you try to argue this point, you will literally argue with God himself. Now, why am I leaning so heavy into this? For one main reason. Because some of you do not think the Holy Spirit has gifted you and that God wants to use you. And the reason you think that is because you know your past. And it is so easy to spend more time looking in the rearview mirror of regret than through the windshield of our salvation. Two of the most incredible testimonies I've ever heard in my life belong to two people in this church, Anita Cunha and Mike Gonyer. Testimonies of incredible redemption. Circumstances I don't even have a framework for. And yet, these two people, by the grace of God, have put person after person through that baptismal, not because they were perfect in their past, but because they are faithful in the present. And I've had the blessing of sitting with both of them in meetings with others on the road to recovery from addiction, I've seen with my own eyes and heard with my own ears God speaking directly through them. This past Wednesday night, I was with Mike as he taught five guys on guess what? The Holy Spirit. Like, why wouldn't it line up, right? And when I spoke, those five guys, they heard me. But when Mike spoke, they listened. Why? Because Mike's been there, he's done that, and he's experienced God's saving grace within it. Because of their past, God working through it, not in spite of it. Mike and Anita can bring the gospel to those in recovery in remarkable ways. What the enemy meant for evil, God is using for good. Because our God is not just a rescuer. He is a redeemer. And this is the very testimony of Paul himself, Christian murderer, rescued and redeemed by Christ, filled and gifted by the Holy Spirit. He goes on to write half of the New Testament, plant churches all over the known world, and give his life for the gospel. The presence of the Holy Spirit in you and through you destroys the ability of your past to dictate your future. If you've given your life to Christ, He has given you the Holy Spirit. And if you've been given the Holy Spirit, you've been given His gifts. So who has the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Every single Christian. Okay, we've all got them. What are they? Well, to answer this, We've got to geek out on some Greek for a few minutes. And if we don't, we'll miss things that are foundational to our understanding of these spiritual gifts. When Paul writes in verse 1, now concerning concerning the gifts of the Spirit, the way that that reads in Greek as he originally writes it is, concerning spiritually controlled things. The word translated as gifts, and rightly so, is pneumaticos. Now, as I told the first service, I totally, totally believe you guys are all going to forget this in five minutes, which is fine. But in the Greek lexicon, anytime you see the word I-K-O-S at the end of a word, what it's saying is that that is controlled. And so pneuma in Greek is spirit. I-K-O-S is controlled by. Spiritual gifts are controlled by the Holy Spirit. To further drive that point home, in verse 11, after listing some of the spiritual gifts, Paul tells us, all of these, all of these gifts, they're all the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. And so go figure, spiritual gifts are controlled and distributed by the Holy Spirit. But wait, there's more. Look at verses 4 through 6. Paul writes, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. In verse 4, Paul writes, there are different types of gifts, and the word used there by Paul is charisma, from the root charis, which means grace. See? You didn't think I'd tie it back together again, gifts and Grace. Ye of little faith. Gifts and grace are like two sides of the same heavenly coin. And so spiritual gifts are controlled and distributed by the Spirit. And because they are gifts of grace, they are totally undeserved. Grace by definition means that you get something you did not deserve. It's a gift. You cannot earn it. Verse 5, he says, There are different kinds of service, but one Lord... Anytime Paul writes Lord, he's talking about Jesus. And so spiritual gifts are controlled and distributed by the Holy Spirit, given by the grace of God in service. Ultimately, more on this to come, to King Jesus. And in verse 6, there are different kinds of work, but in all of them, it is the same God at work. So let's put this all together and get a biblical definition of what spiritual gifts are. Spiritual gifts are abilities directed by the Holy Spirit, given by the grace of God, in service, ultimately to Jesus. And God works through all of them and everyone using them. Is that not amazing? Look, the Trinity, it's right there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, at work, together, in us, and through us. I was studying this Monday, and it just struck me The freedom that is available to us because of this. But not freedom as culture defines it. See, culture defines freedom as the ability to do whatever you want, whenever you want. But that is not freedom. That is anarchy. That is the Corinthian chaos. Freedom as God defines it always brings unity. And So think about it. If spiritual gifts are given to every single Christian and not one Christian deserves them, what then becomes of jealousy and envy and pride? These things that cause massive divisions within a church, nothing comes of them. We are free to celebrate the gifts we see in one another without feeling like some way, somehow, you were slighted or forgotten by God. This unifying freedom is for us individually and us collectively, by definition of them being by the grace of God. You can't earn them, and you didn't deserve them. That should dash our pride and our jealousy and our envy. Paul speaks directly to this unity in verses 12 through 27 of 1 Corinthians 12, and I'll summarize it here for us. He gives the example of the human body, and he says, listen, just as the human body is one, it has many parts. If the whole body was an eye, where would the sense of smell be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of taste be? So there's unity, even in the different parts. But these are the two parts of what Paul wrote that just had me all sorts of emotional this week. Two points that, man, if we can grab onto these. In verse 18, Paul continuing with this concept of the the healthy human body, he says, God placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wants them to be. Heaven is not some spiritual assembly line in which angels are up there mass-producing Christians. God places the parts in the body as he wants them to be, which means if you've been given the gift of prayer, there has never been and there will never be a prayer like you. If you've been given the gift of teaching, there has never been and will never be another teacher like you. That does not mean that teachers can't pray and prayers can't teach. What it means is that when we discover and operate within our spiritual gifts, we operate literally as God designed us. And then in verse 25 and 26, Paul says, because God put the body together as he wants There should be no divisions in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Yes, pride and jealousy and envy and division are always things that we need to guard against, but what if Trinity... What if instead of expending energy to prevent division, our energy was focused on celebrating God's grace on display in every single one of his children through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When we properly celebrate the positive, we actively prevent the negative. That is what spiritual gifts are. And that is the unity that they lead to within the body of believers. The Bible has five, the New Testament has five different lists of spiritual gifts. One in Romans 12, two in Corinthians, one in 1 Peter, one in Ephesians. Five. (laughs) Carry the one, five. Not one of them overlaps. Not one of them repeats, which suggests that they are not all-encompassing. Teaching, preaching, giving, serving, leadership, administration, encouragement, mercy, hospitality, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues. These are just a few of them. The list goes on. If you haven't yet discovered your spiritual gifts or you're not plugged in and using them, please reach out to myself, Pastor Matt, Pastor Kirk, it is so much fun going through that process with people and seeing God work through them and them operate in their spiritual gifts. But before we get to and answer, our third and final question of why we have them, I have to cover what spiritual gifts are not. Gifts of the Spirit are not the same as fruit of the Spirit. Now, last Sunday, Pastor Kirk taught us about the transforming work that the Holy Spirit does in us. And the result of that transforming work is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit speaks to who we are as a new creation in Christ. Gifts speak to what we do in service to the kingdom. But just like the Corinthians, we can haul culture into church when we substitute gifts for fruit. Now make no mistake about it. Gifts of the Spirit should be sought after and prayed for and valued, but we are not the sum total of what we do. The second we find our value in what we do for Christ in the church is the second we abandon our identity in what Christ did for us on the cross. If I could only teach like her, well then I'll be a real Christian. If I could only pray like that, well then God would hear me. You preach a good sermon, you teach a good class, you lead a group, you lead a ministry. And you say to yourself, man, I must be a good person. Look at the way that God is using me. Mm -mm. That's not the way the gifts work. Give your heart a one-question test to see if you're placing your self-worth in your giftings. And this hit me hard this week. Here's the question. If the Holy Spirit gave you a gift but only Jesus ever saw you use it, would you be okay with that? And if your honest answer is, not really, I kind of like the praise of men, you're tying your gift to your worth. And as soon as you've done that, you've erased the power of the cross. Culture defines a person by what they do. Christians are defined by what Christ did for them amen Amen. all right so every christian is given some measure of gifts and abilities by the holy spirit why well to a large extent we've already answered it but let's make it formal we touched on ephesians 4 earlier And in verses 11 and 12, Paul sort of cuts right to the chase. He says in verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. In another passage on the why of spiritual gifts from 1 Peter, this is chapter 4, verse 10, Peter writes, each of you, should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now we are instructed in whatever we do to do it as if we are serving Jesus himself. And so yes, we exercise our spiritual gifts ultimately in service to Jesus. But the way that works itself out every day practically is using our gifts in service to others so that the body of Christ will be encouraged and built up and strengthened. And I won't belabor that point, but only because I want to belabor another one. This means that there is no such thing as complacent Christianity. There are no passengers on the bus. There are no bench warmers on the team. Christianity is not A spectator sport. Now follow my illustration here. Patriots are in the Super Bowl. Two minutes left in the game. They need a touchdown to win. The ball is on their own one-yard line, 99 yards to go. Out onto the field in his Patriots jersey comes Tom Brady. It's my illustration. I'll put Brady wherever I want him. In football, there are 11 players on offense and 11 on defense, but let's say for this game-winning drive in the most important game of the season, Tom Brady comes out onto the field with one-ride receiver, and that's it. Just two of them. His entire offensive line, tight ends, running backs, still on the team, but never leave the sideline. I don't care how good of a quarterback he is. He doesn't have a chance if nine of his teammates decide to watch the game from the sideline instead of playing the game on the field. Now, of course my illustration breaks down all over the place. God working in and through his people is not a game. And the victory has already been won by Christ. But the point remains. The body of Christ needs you. This church needs you. And it is entirely biblical that this church needs you. Just like the body needs the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears, Paul's example of a healthy body is our example of a healthy church. Each part doing its part as it was created. And when that happens, there is perfect health and perfect harmony and perfect unity. This text does not just clarify who has the gifts and what they are. It calls every Christian off the sidelines and into the game. There is someone in here today that needs your gifting. Prayer, speaking the will of God to them, hospitality, teaching, discernment. Think about it. Why would the Holy Spirit give someone the gift of encouragement if there wasn't at the same time someone in here hurting? Why would the Holy Spirit give someone the gift of teaching if there wasn't a need for learning? Now, most of you do not know the full backstory as to how our family ended up here at Trinity and how I ended up with the honor of being one of your pastors serving under Pastor Kirk. And I don't have all the time to get into all the details, but what I do want to share with you lines up exactly with what we're talking about here. In the fall of 2018, our family felt called into pastoral ministry, and so we began a process of church planting, which would ultimately plant a church about a year or so from the fall of 2018. Exactly none of it had to do with Trinity. Now, during that fall in 2018, One night, very late at an intense prayer meeting, I was giving the details of this process to some of my Christian brothers and sisters. (laughs) And I look up, as I'm telling about the time frame, I look up and I see one of my brothers across the room, like just literally staring off into space. And I've got to tell you, this friend has the red phone to heaven. Like, you know the red phone with no buttons on it because you pick it up and it just goes to that? Like, right to the throne room. Like, hi, this is God, right? Like, that thing. And so when he gets that look, I know what's coming. Revelation. God's will through the Holy Spirit. And when it comes out, I'm telling you, count it as done. I've never seen anything like it. And so he says to me, almost quizzically, like he's laboring to, like, parse this out. He says to me, he says, just like this. He says... You keep saying, like a year from now or so, you're gonna pastor. But what if it was before that? Now remember, nothing in our life at that point had anything to do with Trinity. Two months later, Ashley, my wife, tells me, God put on her heart so clearly that I would pastor at Trinity. And when trying to discern if our calling was here, I replayed that progressive revelation over and over and over again in my mind. Because they used their gifts to clarify and guide and reveal and encourage, our family didn't hesitantly sneak in the back door of this church. We ran through the front door convinced and convicted of God's will in our lives. And think about it, three weeks after we were introduced, everyone went away for a year because of COVID. Everything shut down. <laughs> now, wait. Correlation is not causation, so don't go there. But all I'm saying, if there was ever a time for me to sit back and be like, man, did we just get it wrong? Wouldn't that have been it? Never once. Never once jesus does not give peace as the world gives we know that and guess what the holy spirit does not give gifts as the world gives people give gifts to you for you but the holy spirit gives gifts to you for others teaching preaching the word welcoming in strangers prayer encouragement Showing mercy, discernment, speaking in tongues, administration, leadership, and so on. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Do you know what He's given you? Are you using them in service to others and in service to Jesus? Let me close with this An American was vacationing with his friend from England up at Niagara Falls. And after looking at the rapids, the American says to the Englishman, come on, I am going to show you the greatest unused power in the world. So they climb up the stairs, they come around the corner, and they see the water coming off the falls, just powerfully crashing down into the rocks. And he says, look. And the Englishman says, ha, sorry, brother, that's not it. The greatest unused power in the world is that of the holy spirit of the living god brothers and sisters god's plan and purpose for your life did not stop with your salvation it began with it may we eagerly pursue the grace of god in our lives through the gifts of the holy spirit and steward them for the good of the church in service to the lord and for the glory of God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, your word, this word has gone forth. Clarify where there's confusion. Father, show those who are sitting here today listening to this word that that haven't yet discovered the way that you've gifted them. Would you make that clear to them? And would you show us ways that That Trinity, that we can empower them in those gifts. Father, for people that that know what they're gifting in but but haven't, haven't yet used them, again, would you work in their lives? I know at times in my life, I can fall into a spiritual slumber. Awaken your people, show us the gifts you've given each one of us, bring about the unity that those gifts bring. All for the expansion of God's kingdom, powered by you, Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead to the glory and honor of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Will you stand as we continue to worship?